0: and gentlemen and welcome could that have sounded any more insincere welcome to between you and me the internet's premier meridian podcast barring of course the corona diaries with steve hogarth what's he gonna call that when coronavirus is all done and dusted
1: vaccinated diaries
0: yeah the post-corona diaries anyway so saying i have a quote here Yeah. And I want you to guess which member of Marillion it's it's from.
1: Oh man, what on earth? And I'm not supposed to be the quizzed, I'm supposed to be the quiz. I'm quizzing you.
0: But I know so Uh, I can't quiz the quiz e I can't quiz myself on it. I know who it is and what he's referring to. Go on then. So there's a clue, it's a male member of (laughs) Marillion.
1: Oh, so hard. Right. Ooh, that really narrows it down. So, I didn't say hello to everyone.
0: Oh, sorry. Because it's
1: my favourite bit. Oh. You all know I love saying hello. I'm
0: Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. and I'm here once again with my dear wife Tanya.
1: Oh, awkward hello. Don't know where. Don't know how to say hello. Blah blah blah. Yeah, all that
0: kind of all stuff. That. Why don't you say your catchphrase?
1: What's my What's my
0: catchphrase? X. I'm sorry. X. Express. X. Express. People are right now listening to this at home, screaming your, your catchphrase. Oh,
1: exquisite.
0: God. Yes. So, I have a quote from a member of Merillian. Yes. You have to guess who the quote is from and what they're talking about.
1: Okay. Oh, I have to guess what they're talking about as well.
0: Yeah. He says, I prefer these because they're a bit tighter. I do like it thick and tight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> you've stumped me there. I have no idea. You don't want to guess
0: who that was? I mean,
1: what could it be about? Microphones? Get... No. I prefer these Strings? because they're a bit
0: tighter. I do like it thick and tight. Oh,
1: God. Rother's? No. Pete? No. I'm just going to go through the band. Tell me who.
0: Oh, come on, who else is it going to be? Yeah, you've heard Corona Diaries. You know he is a master of the double entendres. This is the man who... Master
1: of the thick and tight.
0: This is the man who, on the Brave album, not giving away too much, there is the line, hold your breath, which he has subsequently changed to in every single live performance to hold your breasts. You listen to him singing it. He sings it every bloody time. What's the song? Uh, It's Mad Stroke in the Opium Den. Anyway. So he's talking about the gloves. Oh. I prefer these because they're a bit tighter. I do like it thick and tight. He was, he was telling oh the a, an interviewer, right, that he got that particular pair of gloves. They were a pair of women's gloves from Selfridges. Oh,
1: fancy! <laughs> yeah, and that's
0: what they shoved all the um, the the keys, switches, and whatnot the into.
1: Switches.
0: Anyway, we're not here to talk about ages gloves this or th- week.
1: Or thick and tight stuff.
0: Or thick and tight stuff. I think the audience have just fainted. Yeah, no, she says. i cringing. No. We're here to talk about Holidays in Eden, the second album with Steve Hogarth, a controversial album for many Meridian fans.
1: What? Why?
0: Why? It's controversial. Why? Yeah. Does this sound like misplaced childhood to you?
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but neither did. um
0: Oh, oh, oh dear. <laughs> my memory, oh, dear. Like, God,
1: help us.
0: Oh dear. What was the
1: first album we. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear. We did?
1: Well, look, it's been a while because we did the Fish album in between.
0: Yeah. I can't believe. Oh my God. I'm just going to sit here it. until you, you get it. I'm just going to sit here. Um... All all right? you all alright? You'll keep it alright? Yeah. You're all safe? <laughs> no,
1: because the pressure makes me forget even more. Um...
0: How's your mum? she alright? Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. How's work? Keep it busy?
1: I get nervous and then my brain shuts down.
0: Are you looking it up? Yeah. I can't believe you're having to look this up. You present a Meridian podcast for pity's sake. You present a Meridian podcast.
1: And you don't know how difficult it is for me to keep all the the information for that brief amount of time that it's in my brain.
0: If it's any consolation, I remember H being interviewed. I think it was in Kerrang. Right. And he couldn't remember the, the names of misplaced childhood or clutching at straws. Yes,
1: thank you, universe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not alone.
0: Yeah, and he's the singer.
1: Yeah, that's great. You were saying the other day about something that he couldn't remember, and I felt a lot better about myself. Yeah,
0: listening to the Corona Diary he's talking of, he couldn't remember whether Anna Racker or Marbles came out first. He oh, thought okay. Marbles yeah. was the, the first Dave Meegan album after Afraid of Sunlight.
1: See, stuff like that just makes me feel better about myself
0: so yeah a controversial album i i mean i think season's end and the holidays in eden they're part of an era i think they're they're although i don't think they're necessarily similar albums i think in a lot of respects season's end has more in common with the fish era i think i see season's end and holidays in eden as part of a sort of two album era as I do the next two albums, funnily oh, enough. Oh,
1: okay. That's good to know. For me, they feel like they fit together.
0: It, it's a period where the band are trying to establish who they are with i I'll try saying that. Again, the band are trying to establish who they are with H. Right. So I throw me now trying to pronounce I that, that sentence. That threw you off. Yeah. Oh God! You've just knocked half you know, the decorations off the tree. Just knocked a bloody tree. bauble off the Christmas tree. It
1: was. It was nearly one of the merillion baubles as yeah, well. It was.
0: Got them on my tree. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, and you can see my Meridian baubles. balls. God, this has not started well, has it? With <laughs> but innuendo. To help us. <laughs> in your endo. You got to bear in mind this is a band two albums before were writing heavy concept albums about someone's you know drink addiction. Also known as alcoholism, by a singer who didn't want to be there by all accounts, and it was dark and it was heavy. Yeah. Cut to two albums later. Um, to be fair. He,
1: he, to be fair, he is saying pain. And heaven. And heaven, but you know, that we hey is actually the word pain. Yeah. So there's a bit of edge in there, a bit of darkness. Well,
0: that was the first single cover my eyes. Uh, a track that that I recall one review at the time describing it like a U2 B-side. Wow. Well it's got that Seriously? come on it's got that jangly the edge guitar which is kind of trademark U2. Ding, da deng da deng. Uh, it is a very poppy song.
1: True. Yeah, it, I mean it sounds nothing like Fish than Fishier and It sounds
0: it it sounds less like the fish era than anything on season but I 10. thought
1: we'd moved past that now. I thought we'd moved into just accepting that the band will sound different and H will sound different and not comparing them anymore.
0: Well, people were, unfortunately, because it was an album received by the fans. Some of them loved it, of course, because they still had fans that stuck with them. And then a lot of them just went, what the hell?
1: After Season's End? I think, yeah. How can you still be surprised?
0: Well, let's talk a bit about the background, okay? Yes, let's, Yeah. And okay. Before let's we start getting into what this sounded like. Yeah, what I mean,
1: I don't want to minimise anyone's experiences. I'm just, I'm wondering because, w- whereas with Season's End, at least for the first half, I was definitely comparing the two. Yeah. Definitely. But, I not I didn't do it at all in holidays Look, in Eden.
0: I didn't. I didn't. I'm talking more, once again, talking about how. <laughs> here's what happened, right? So, okay, seasons end. Fish, fish is gone. Okay, new lead singer. Yeah. Okay.
1: I guess we need to know as well the time frames. Well,
0: eighty nine seasons end. Holidays in Eden came out in in June nineteen ninety
1: one. That's a couple of years later. A
0: couple of years later, nonetheless. Anyone waiting for the next. <laughs> Me
1: just saying to people, come on get over well,
0: it. Well, they didn't. I I I'm jumping jumping around here. Fish had gone, new lead singers, you've got to get used to that. Some of them went, Sod this, I'm off to support Fish. Holidays in Eden came out. Basically a pop album. Okay? Now, before you argue that there's a 15 minute long three-song suite on there that's very proggy, the band were deliberately trying to make a pop album. Okay. Marillion were not a pop or singles band. They had a couple of hit singles by accident. Kaylee was written by accident. It came off of a a dark, complex concept album. And then, without wanting to go too much into what happened after Holidays, and so they got rid of all the prog fans, they then record record their proggiest album ever, which was Brave! It's like, what? 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 I mean, talk about oh, kind of, respect. you know, ab- abrupt turns. <laughs> I
1: kind of love that. It's like you don't know what you're going to get next.
0: Well, I love that.
1: Only the strongest fans will
0: remain. Yeah, well, yeah. As I did, I I wasn't at the time comparing the album to Fish. You'll be glad to hear. But I know a lot of people were. Yeah. And a lot of people still to this day don't like Hollow Lays Eden because it is very poppy. And it has got a real pop production edge mm. to it, which was the consequence of a guy called Chris Neal, who was the producer, who uh, had produced or produced lots of albums by Celine Dion, uh, wow. Celine Dion and Marillion. Uh, well, he... we were
1: saying the other week how we think H is as good a singer as Celine Dion. We
0: were, yeah. Well, there you go.
1: He could easily have his own show in Vegas
0: let's not go there okay (laughs) he also produced a track that I know you like The Living Years by Marking the Mechanics oh I love that song and you might not know this but some of our audience will Chris Neal, producer of Marillion's Holidays in Eden produced Dennis Waterman's I Could Be So Good For You yeah I know you won't understand the relevance of that but write the theme tune sing the theme tune tanya's looking at me blankly so uh chris Neil apparently was in the offing for season's end as producer uh but the band vetoed it because they thought well he's got a, a kind of pop background and a pop sensibility and they thought changing their sound radically at the same time as changing their singer might have been a step too far for the fans so they still had res- reservations about that when when it came time to record the follow-up to Season's End. But the they were under an enormous amount of pressure from the record company to produce some hit singles. Because Easter had been pegged as the big hit off of Season's End and it hadn't been. So the, the record company were like, we need the next Kaylee, we need the next Lavender. Even an incommunicado would do.
1: Oh my god, as if you can just pluck something like that out of the air. Well
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. But they thought, well we've got Chris Neil, we've got H, who, not known as H then, Steve Hogarth, who had a certain pop sensibility. The trouble they had going into Holidays in Eden is they had no songs. With Season's End, when it came to recording that album, they had obviously the tracks that they'd worked up post Clutching at Straws. Then Steve Hogarth brought some songs with him. They worked on some of those together. So they had various bits and bobs that had been floating around for a while.
1: Didn't you say that 75% of the album had been written? Yeah, pretty much,
0: by the time that that H had come there, certainly the the music. But Holidays and Eden, they were starting with a completely blank slate. What proved to be contentious is that Marillion's way of working, the rather famous Let's Jam Around and Chuck Some Bits Up on a whiteboard, was completely at odds with the, the way H wrote music, which he tends to write fast. Apparently it caused tension. At one point H was sent home to have some time off while the rest of the band worked on the music because they they were like, we'll work out the songs our way. And so what happened was there was division. So
1: hang on. He works fast, so he kind of gets to where he wants to be really quickly, mm. whereas the other band members want to experiment and play around and test things out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know in in the sense that I've never been in the room with them while they're doing it. But yeah, his famous age is now part of of that process. He's over the years been worn down and realised this is how Merillion albums are made. And but the band had been doing it for a while. It was the same process that that actually, by all accounts, frustrated Fish. And here they were, with a new lead singer was also getting frustrated by the, the, the process. And Mark Kelly said it, that at the time it felt like it was us and us and him they didn't feel like a, a band or a unit
1: it which was... is kind of going back to a uh, fish era isn't it because that was yeah. kind of what happened in the end
0: with fish yeah there it wasn't was all the built-up versus... tension yeah but certainly but in separate camps i can understand i think it as a as a process it would wind me up oh i can see it winding you up yeah because right. right. we're very you different for saying that very forcefully oh no no
1: because i was thinking it I wasn't going to say it, but since you've said it, because you're quite quick, you just get the answers straight away. Mm. And some of the rest of us like to take a bit longer to process things and,
0: yeah, well, you know,
1: get the right fit and feeling for things. So, I, yeah, I, I can see how.
0: Well, let me give you some quotes from okay. the band from various interviews at the time. Well, Steve Rothery says writing that album was very, very difficult. We kind of again went to a big house in the country, spent a fortune, but it was quite a difficult album to write because we were just trying to find our feet, working between the five of us because the previous record, a lot of that music was written before Steve was involved. So this was the first time that they tried to collaborate. But it was a difficult experience because we had very different ideas about how to work. And what was important in the song so it was a difficult album and at the same time we had emi trying to put us with a certain kind of producer which i think worked to a certain extent but my original feeling was we should have just done the singles like that and then done the album tracks our way with nick davis who made season's end with us so the band as a whole now with hindsight i think they look upon holidays in Eden as a bit of an experiment that was only partially successful and weirdly like Fugazi, which was another difficult album the band found to to write and record. Here we are again with what is effectively a, a another second album that they uh, found yeah. difficult.
1: Oh, well, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, I've always second always found albums. That I
1: wonder if that's a common. Theme for musicians or bands. Well, it's a classic. That it's a classic album, phrase: so. that
0: difficult second album. You've had the, the big hit album that yeah, that you've been working on effectively for years,
1: yeah.
0: And then suddenly you expected to come up with another one. They had pressure from the record company. They had pressure to establish who they were with Steve Hogarth. Pressure to find a way of working that suited all five of them, and the pressure of the fans who he was still trying to prove himself. The
1: fans age. still waiting with. Baited breath to see whether they would approve or disapprove. Well, can you imagine? How this new singer's going to, which direction he's going to go in.
0: Yeah, and this is, in some respects, it's even more crucial than Season's End. Because there's enough of a hangover of, of curiosity with Season's End.
1: That's true, Whereas yeah. with
0: this, it's like, well, this is this is the way it is now. And, you know, if people don't stick around, that's kind of damning, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, because I guess a lot of people would have bought Season's End just out of curiosity. Yeah. And possibly, and then if they'd see, So some would have left after that going, no way, no thanks, not for me. And some would have said, okay, I quite like this, stuck around. So for a lot of people, if they didn't like Holidays in Eden,
0: that was it. What I find curious is that this album doubles down on the kind of bits of Season's End, which were very different to Fish era. Easter is a very kind of commercial song. And yet this album is full of commercial songs. Mm. They're changing course quite dramatically, I think, here. And so it's all signified as well with, they got rid of the the classic logo. That's gone by this album. They started using this,
1: Oh, let me see. If
0: you're looking for the album cover, you won't find a logo on it. There isn't a logo on it.
1: There's not?
0: But there is, if you look up the US edition, there is a logo on that, the US edition of the album. It was sort of the the A. Marillion logo split into three and sort of piled on top of each other. So it says, Ma Il Ion.
1: Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. But there's a T-shirt of that.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah, I was looking morning. for
1: a T-shirt of the actual album cover and I didn't find one. Oh, no, you
0: want that, do you?
1: It's really nice. I really like
0: well, it. Well, the album was by an artist called Sarah Ball. I don't love it. What? Yes. We're we we in... have
1: such different taste.
0: <laughs> firstly, firstly, my first issue with it, I think I've subsequently corrected this on later versions of the album cover. But you have the... It, it, for those who are unfamiliar it's a very blue painting of a load of animals in the Garden of Eden and the animals are blue everything's blue Mm -hmm. and the animals are all flying up towards I don't know the moon or the sun now the Marillion, the name Marillion and the album title Holidays in Eden is in a circle yeah right on the original versions of that album the moon stroke sun wasn't in the centre of the bloody circle it drove me mad oh
1: I can see it was up a bit to the open
0: goal it was off centre you put it in the middle of that circle. Wow. It was oh my god. god as someone who used to I be I really
1: wouldn't care that would not bother me I used me to be a all. graphic
0: designer. I sorry, but attention to detail is important.
1: That <laughs> wouldn't bother me because it's it's
0: Okay, no that's not I don't know what you're looking at there. Well it's that's, not
1: in the center of the circle That's there. not
0: no. It was slight that, I don't know what version of it that is that you've called up there. It was slightly off center. That was what drove me mad slightly off center anyway i don't love it's a pretty enough painting in fact i think i used to have a print of this
1: i would want a print of this okay i'd want a print of this and i'd even wear it on a t-shirt which you can't find the only t-shirts from holidays in eden you can find are with that american logo
0: i just find it and they're like 97 pounds so it's very dark as a cover it doesn't jump out. I love it. Yeah, okay, it's, it's nice enough, but it's it's really dark as a cover. I mean, at least they've gone back to some kind of painted artwork like they used to. But I'm sorry, I don't I don't love it.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, the
0: the singles covers around this time as well were just oh, basically the logo, awful. Oh
1: no! Well, the, the
0: dry land,
1: I ninety need to see percent this. of the
0: dry land cover is just like a bluey grey nothing.
1: I need to see this.
0: Yeah. Dry Land was a single by the way.
1: I hope it's not this. What? This is the cover.
0: That's the cover of the single.
1: That's a disappointment.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Especially coming from a band like Marillion. So
1: <sighs> That's gotta be one of the most boring covers I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. And this is something you can't say about the Mark Wilkinson cover. No, covers.
1: sorry, I'd take Mark Wilkinson over the Dry Land cover.
0: Awful. Yeah. Yeah. And the cover, of my eyes. Single cover was basically just that logo, that three. Oh God,
1: now I need to see that. Oh as dear.
0: <laughs> you don't need to see all of this.
1: I do. I do. There. Oh, boring. That's better than the dry land one, though.
0: Yeah, it's slightly better. So, um, back to the album itself. So it was recorded once again at Hook End Studios, where Seasons End was recorded. For those of you who are interested in stuff like that. Proceeded by Cover My Eyes, which got to, I'll tell you where it got to. So, Cover My Eyes, um, the single was out at the end of May. It only got to number 34, which, given that Marillion had been in a place. Really? Bear in mind that Incommunicado went straight in at number six as the first single off of Clutching Mm. at Straws. Okay, so a
1: big, big difference. Yeah. Where did you say Easter got to?
0: Oh, I can't remember. I haven't got that in front of me, but it was fairly low down.
1: It was kind of similar, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Fortunately, the album itself uh, got to number seven, which was the same as season's end. So the album did better than Cover My Eyes, the U two B side single. I suppose we could just jump in. I think there's going to be other yeah, things. Yeah, unless to you've got other about. things. Well, okay. And... Here's something I did want to talk about. Well, before we get into the album, go through it track by track. A band, right, who've been established as being a certain sort of band. Marillion aren't a singles band, although we are going to talk about Marillion, a singles collection which came out the following year, which had all their singles on there. They're not a singles band. They were never a pop band, even though they did accidentally write an absolutely huge pop song in the shape of Kayleigh. I get that the the record company were pressuring them, to have more hits and I read a quote from Mark Kelly, who sort of said they understood the importance of hit singles, because if it wasn't for Kaylee, Misplaced Childhood wouldn't have got to number one, wouldn't have been the huge album that it was. But nonetheless, Kaylee was still an outlier. Kaylee was not representative of the album as a whole. It was part of a longer piece. Yes, Lavender likewise, but you know, Lavender on the album is what, two minutes long if that? It wasn't written as a single and neither was Kayleigh for that matter. So for then, just a few short years later, for a band to kind of go, no, we're going to now radically change our sound and start chasing pop songs against what most of our fans that they've built up at that point, against what most of our fans listen to us for, isn't that a bit shitty?
1: And it was coming from the record company. It was, pressure. but I think so or, the quote were from they Mark all in Kelly, There was
0: the quote, quote from Mark Kelly. He said he understood the, the importance of a hit single. However, what you get isn't a situation like it was with Kaylee, where there's one hit single on an album that is a dense, complex concept piece. You've got an album of a bunch of hit singles, and the outlier on there is is the sort of proggy bits. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, this is not me giving my opinion of the album. I'll do that at the end. I'm just talking about, again... As did, an
1: approach. It's a As kind an of approach. It doesn't fit with the band's output up to now. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, but
0: isn't it isn't it kind of a slap in the face for the the fans? And I don't mean...
1: Yeah, uh, I suppose it would be.
0: I if the fans yeah. are
1: like, we're not here for the hit singles, we couldn't care less. Yeah. Just give us a good album.
0: And I don't... This isn't to sort of say that fans should ever dictate the sort of music a band want to write. Because I love the fact that Marillion now are freed from sort of commercial pressures and write what they want to write and put out the kind of albums they want to put out. But that isn't what was happening here. They were writing like a kind of corporate product to have hits. They were doing what basically you 2 do, which is... Yeah, one of my issues I've got with U2 is that U2 write music that sounds like U2. It doesn't ever sound like they're trying to have or experiment or stretch themselves or do anything other than their very kind of narrow style, I suppose. Mm, it was Coldplay, because they box themselves in. Yeah, Coldplay, a band who were once kind of classed as the next U2 stadium at, it's like their last album. Did was experimental, and I really admire them for that. Likewise, Radiohead—they turned their back on the the kind of music that people. i say this out as I'm, I'm defeating my own argument here, because Radiohead—they went the opposite way. They didn't. They, they made less commercial music than they had been, but they were following their muse. What I'm talking about, what's going on here, is that Marillion bowed to the pressure from the record label which I understand because if there's a threat of the record label their bills. yeah the re- I get it it's a job mm-hmm. at the same I time I guess
1: I guess I'm wondering what the rest of the band aside from Mark Kelly thought
0: how well, they felt all, about yeah, it yeah they've all looked back on it and kind of well I've got some quotes but I think they all look back on it and kind of go we weren't adventurous enough on that album and yes we were chasing hit singles and it didn't work Mm. And I think you only have to look how the band feel about that in the shape of Brave.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> an album yeah. once again without any obvious singles on there and a, a, not a pop album in any shape or form. It was an absolute reaction to what they did here. And I suppose what I'm trying to get at is, yeah, you know, absolutely hats off to them. They did it for one album and went, ah, that ain't us. And I get that it was a transitional period in Meridian's history where they were trying to establish who they were with H and kind of going, are we a pop band? Mm -hmm. Are we something more commercial than we have been? But, and I'm glad they didn't pursue that avenue because then I would have sort of said, yes, they absolutely should have changed their name. Right. But by the time you get to... I get
1: what you're saying. By the
0: time you get to Brave, I'm kind of going, nope, that's Meridian they stuck to their guns and they're making complex music again. Mm. Whereas on here, I don't think there's anything particularly kind of artistically complex. Hmm. Uh, you disagree?
1: No, I don't know. I'm thinking about it.
0: I well, don't think for too long you're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like... I don't know. I don't think I'm the right person to ask. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I just thought it was an interesting... <laughs>
1: yeah, because I... I mean, I'm going to say it. I really loved the album, so... Yeah, I know. I'm not the
0: right person to ask. But where do you think this fits in terms of the, the journey we've been on? Do you, Do you not find this...
1: I felt it was a natural progression from Season's End. Mm. It felt... It didn't feel jarring after Season's End.
0: See, this is what I'm trying to work out, right? Because I don't know how much of it Uh, for me, it's just that I'm familiar with this album. I've heard it so many times over the years. I liked it when it came out.
1: Yeah, I wanted to Um, ask that. What was your reaction when you heard it? I liked it. So you listened to Season's End, were willing to stick with Marillion a bit longer. Yeah. And then what happened? You you got well, Holidays cover my in eyes. Eden. Eden. Did you go run out and get it the day it was of uh, released? Of course I did. <laughs> From our price? I, I
0: bought the single the day it came out and everything in a, a vinyl box set. It became a box. It was wow. fancy. I think there were multiple kind of versions of it. And I didn't like the B-side. How can it hurt? Which is, I think, contender for one of Marillion's worst songs. <laughs> Why are you laughing so oh God, much?
1: That was the Beast. That's what they chose for the yep, Beast I first Beast had Cover single. My Eyes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not a it, good start. It's not a good start. But you
1: liked Cover My Eyes. I liked Cover My Eyes. I
0: thought it was catchy. Yeah, I thought it sounded a bit like U2 at the time, as did other people, evidently. Um, I thought it sounded a bit too much like U2, or at least the guitar did. And the album, I liked the album. I mean, I think... I think so was
1: it jarring to you?
0: I could tell that it had... What I thought at the time was sort of a very sort of lush production, Mm. that felt different more than the songwriting. I heard two of the songs, The Party and No One Can, I'd heard live. They played them live before the album came out. And I liked them both when I heard them live. And No One Can, I I turned to my mate when we heard it, my friend John, uh, and said to him, I said, oh my God, they've written their next Kaylee. And I was familiar with the song, This Town, from the Stoke Road to Ipanema. That was the cat in the background, by the way. That wasn't Father Christmas shaking his bells. Uh, I was familiar with the song, This Town, from the the video that they'd put out from Stoke Road to Ipanema, which kind of dealt with H's first year in the band. And they played uh, an early version of This Town. I'm not... This isn't necessarily my feelings about the eventual version of this town that ended up on the album but that version of this town i thought sounded brilliant so i was looking forward to the album and i think having had some degree of familiarity with some of it helped it mm. didn't feel like such an abrupt shift right you were yeah. eased into it yeah i mean you know I, everything i sort of say about Is it okay for a band to do that and kind of go to hell with the fans who've supported us up to this point? We're going to try and write some pop songs. Now, I don't necessarily feel that way, that it's it's a bad thing to do. I mean, as it, you know, with history and hindsight tells us that it might actually be a commercially suicidal thing to do when you've built up an audience with a certain approach to music to then kind of go, no, sod them, we're going to chase a different audience now.
1: Yeah, And so you true.
0: lose all that that audience, potentially, and they did lose a big chunk of it, while there being no guarantees you're going to find that new audience yeah. that, that you want.
1: Mm.
0: As well as it coming from the record company, it was coming from the band to a certain degree as well because they did feel that, that some of the music on season's end, if it had had a different approach in terms of production, could have been as big as Kayleigh. And the record company, you know, we're going to go, oh, this guy's got a pop voice. And the band, I suppose, were feeling, this is complete speculation, but the band were probably feeling we have had a massive hit, a bunch of massive hits, and the last album wasn't. So we know we can do it. Let's see if we can do it again.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And you've got to bear in mind as well, they weren't millionaires because of the way their contracts were and the way they were managed so I get it I get all that that pressure to be more commercial but it does at the same time feel like a potential betrayal to a certain bunch of the audience now I've always loved Marillion's poppy side mm. Going, so you
1: listened to Holidays in Eden and after that how were you left?
0: after I heard the album
1: yeah I was fine with it I You're liked, fine I with liked it staying the time. Popier.
0: yeah this is all me just in, more in terms of talking about how a lot of the the fan base reacted and i know a lot of the people who heard it at the time still feel quite strongly about it because so many of them messaged me on twitter going i can't wait to hear what you have to say about holidays in eden but the trouble is i do like marillion's poppy aside for me they i read a quote actually funny enough i think it was on the marillion and fans group on facebook that said uh too proggy for pop fans, too pop for prog fans. <laughs> and that sweet spot is Merillion, yeah. And that, for me, is what I love about them. Mm. They're a more a prog pop band for me than a prog rock band.
1: Yeah, they are. I, I can see them fitting into prog pop.
0: Yeah, I don't even know they if that's do, a thing. They do
1: do rock stuff
0: as well. They do, yeah. It is, it, uh, yeah. They're a hard band to categorise, frankly. I think, because they've got so many different styles. but Yeah. But yeah, so for me, Holidays in Eden, at the time, I was quite happy with that. And was that because you had Fish doing his own thing?
1: So it's like, you know, if I want some Fish-sounding stuff, I'll just go and listen to him.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I guess I was still in that whole, oh, it's Best of Both Worlds situation. So Fish had an album out that year as well, Internal Exile.
1: Which is his uh, second solo second album. Second solo
0: album, which that came out in the October. It's all right. But I was happy with the Marillion album, <laughs> You like Holidays in Eden better, better than yeah, Internal I like,
1: Exile.
0: I, yeah, I like it better than Internal Exile. Yeah, I've said it. Mm. So we were still in kind of a bit of a competition, at least in terms of, of the of the fan base's loyalties. Yeah. It, they, they it was, early days it. It was even though early days. it was early days
1: couple of years had passed, but it was still early days in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. There. So going back now to, to listen to it in what we're, we, we're doing, I agree with you. It feels like it's a progression from season's end. Mm. It doesn't feel like a, an abrupt shift. What is interesting, and I didn't know this until I started looking up the album, Chris Kimsey, who did Misplaced Childhood and Clutching at Straws, was apparently due to re- produce the album originally. Oh, right. And uh, he, unfortunately, he was he had also agreed to produce an album for the Rolling Stones. And the Stones said, no, you can't go and produce for anyone else until you've done our album. So that's why then they ended up with this Chris Neal guy.
1: So it could have been a completely different album.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris Kimsey then did, produced the, the single Sympathy, which was on a singles collection. Oh, okay. And he did produce Fish's album that came out that year. So I don't quite know what happened there. You might have ended up with a Marillion album and a Fish album produced by Chris Kimsey. And the Fish album doesn't sound anything like Clutching at Straws or Misplaced Childhood. So there's no guarantee. You will never know. There's no guarantee that with the songs that Marillion brought to the table... That Chris Kimsey would have done anything radically different with them. There's a few songs on the album which are absolutely the result of Chris Neal's involvement. Oh, I wonder which ones. Yeah, we'll tell you when we when we get there. Yeah, because they were either his suggestion or the band were gonna scrap them and he
1: Oh, I'm really curious now. They were they were thinking of scrapping some.
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh, I and, know which and I know. Well, it's the ones It surprised me. I'll say that.
1: <laughs> okay. So shall
0: we go through it? Okay, let's. I'm sure do there's going to be more stuff that comes up as we, yeah, as we go. Splintering Heart.
1: Yes. Okay, so I, let me just say. So you've pegged this album as quite a poppy album, not so much prog. You've mentioned the This Town trilogy as mm-hmm. the proggy bit. I thought Splintering Heart sounded quite proggy.
0: It's certainly not Doesn't, a pop song. It, yeah. yeah, I was
1: going to say, it does not sound poppy to me at all.
0: Yeah, it's not. I don't. Uh, yeah, it, it. I think it's. <clears throat> I forgot what I was gonna say. I got distracted because someone walked past outside.
1: Oh, no, <laughs> well, it's it's just it's really atmospheric. It's, um
0: yeah it starts with that keyboardy yeah programmed synth thing.
1: I love like there's a contrast between softer, gentler sounds and really powerful sounds.
0: You sound like you like this, but I thought you didn't.
1: I'm not sure. I'm still. I don't know how I feel about Splintering Heart. Really? Yeah. I. I have no idea. I'm in this weird place with it where I think I don't like it and then I listen to it and I think actually it's alright. I don't love it. Mm. I think it's it's I love I love the atmosphere of, of it. I love I can I can really hear H's emotion when he sings. I love that. You know, even the name, Splintering Heart, it's so evocative, but I don't feel a particular connection to it. And it's not one of my favourite songs. Mm. I don't know why, like, twice now, listening to the album, the live version of it comes on and I just get caught up listening to the it. The very different without, live version. Without realising why I'm doing it, I'm just stuck listening to it. So I obviously early, don't yeah, hate it. That's an
0: early version, which is much more kind of, uh, it's very different. Certainly the opening is very different. It's got a yeah. yeah, oh yeah, that, the opening is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I like that version of it, which I guess they must do as well because they put it on the remastered. Yeah, version Yeah, I like, of the album. I
1: like it. I mean, I don't know which one I prefer.
0: Well, I like, I, I, do like this song, and I like it more than I used to because it's really coming to its own in recent years as a set opener. You know, that that slow build,
1: yeah,
0: the the sequence at the beginning. It's a good,
1: yeah, it's a good opening song.
0: It's all right. I don't, it's it's all right. Don't, yeah. uh, I don't absolutely love it, but I don't dislike it. Same. And there is one, at least one song on this album that I despise, but we'll get (laughs) to that. I despise it. Can
1: I just say this whole album? I just want to give an overview. What on earth? I mean, overall, I like it. And the highs for me are super high. Like, there are songs that I super love. And then there's a few thrown in there that I really don't like. It's a mixed bag of an album.
0: Get used to it. That's what I will say. <laughs>
1: Get used to it. <laughs> but there are enough, so why I say I like it, because I think the ones I like outweigh the ones yeah. that I super dislike. But for,
0: for me, that's Merillion going forwards. It's, it's rare for me to have a Merillion album where there aren't some songs on there that, to use your term, I super love. Right. There's normally at least two or three that I super love. And normally one that I really would never want to listen to again. <laughs> <laughs> you go I've got, through, I've you got, can go through all the albums and I can tell you them all now. I've got more than
1: one on this album that I'd be happy not to listen to again.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But then
1: there's there's others that I just oh, I just think they're one, some of my favourites.
0: Okay. Well, Splintering Heart.
1: Splintering Heart is neither.
0: Okay, it's splintering
1: it's, heart is neutral. To, it's Switzerland. For me, it's above average. Yeah, just.
0: If we were giving it's it point, plus. if we were giving it points out of ten, I'd give it six point five. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're a hard marker, yeah, so that's you know quite a high score for you. Yeah. I'd give it six point five and I'm quite a generous marker, yeah. so that's a low score for so, me. Okay, if it was on a playlist on Shuffle, would you skip it? Mm,
0: depends on the mood I'm in.
1: Yeah, same. Whereas there is, you same. Know, there's
0: some stuff on this album that I'd always skip. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh I like it. It's a H lyric, by the way. Not there's oh, uh I John can... Helmer is on Henry. this album.
1: Oh,
0: is he? Yeah, but this is mostly written by Ace's album. Thank God, after yeah. season's end being very Helmer heavy, which is fine because John Helmer's good, but we want to know who this guy is. Exactly. So, this he says the lyric came to me in a flash in early February 1990. I went for a walk in Toronto, the world's tallest, uh, on the way to the CN Tower, the world's tallest structure, or something like that. And I wrote down with a felt pen on a photo wallet that was the only piece of paper available i was feeling lonely it could sometimes feel it pricking at me it's an icy place in february toronto and i was imagining a heart shattering from its own hardness or coldness i still like the imagery in the last verse a cross for a kiss ain't that the truth
1: Mm, it's um i mean i yeah i i agree with him the 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 name splintering heart that's some cool imagery
0: there's some cool imagery in it it feels perhaps appropriately both musically and lyrically quite remote i'm yeah. You know, h is singing I'm, I'm i'm not quite sure what he's getting at uh, what do you mean cold what it's about the heart and the heart shattering yeah
1: i didn't know what it was cold. about like i was trying to guess what it was about and i thought maybe it was about someone having a secret affair with someone else well i and, don't like, know you kind of you miss them and I'm it's painful, in pain pain it's the, and, yeah, cost pain, of the high. pain yeah in
0: pain yeah till the weight of the secret and the weight of the lie makes yeah. my heart want to burst well it's, it wouldn't be the first time that H has written a lyric that I've gone, is this about someone having an affair? Yeah,
1: I, that's what uh, I was wondering. It
0: would not be the first time I've wondered that.
1: But now he said the heart was so hard or cold that it, it shattered.
0: Well, yeah, but what's a cold heart? You know, someone who isn't, you know, perhaps cold out of necessity, hard out of necessity mm. to stop feeling anything. There's a burning and freezing and a cross for a kiss. So she learns to stop dreaming and you know how it is with these fragments of love and this splintering heart. Yeah, I don't know. It's typical of the era and H's lyrics of that era. I'm not entirely sure what he's getting at. Like when we were talking about Mm. the space. Yeah. Which again feels, we thought that might be perhaps something to do with having an affair or a guilty secret. Mm. Reading between the lines, and so maybe we are in similar territory. Maybe here. we are. Not that we're alleging anything, we're just taking our in- Wild Guesses. Wild guesses. Wouldn't want a slander. Anyone. Wild guesses in the wind. Musically, lo- yeah, it has that nice kind of syncopated build, that electronic build, and then the guitar kicks in. Oh, uh-
1: that from around five minutes mm. that there's gorgeous yeah
0: they they completely let themselves go with this don't they yeah. all.
1: see so that wasn't poppy at all
0: no this song isn't
1: the, the whole ending was just beautiful musically i think yeah. i preferred the second half of it to the first half
0: musically um, but i like i love a marillion album that has a slow build on the
1: <laughs> no <laughs> i mean the, the song not the album yeah
0: i was so pleased when fear came out and it started gently and slowly and built yeah, I love that on a Marilyn. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, no. I mean, I meant I like like the the instrumental bit at the end of the song. Yeah, yeah that yeah. part of the song.
0: I think AJ's vocals great, there are great. His He's
1: vocals are
0: screaming. But, awesome. Yeah. I was going
1: to say exquisite. Do it. <laughs> but that's only that should only be for guitar.
0: So if uh, we move on, yes. Cover my eyes. Yeah. Mister <laughs> <laughs> Grimsdale? Who? That doesn't matter.
1: No, uh, you have to explain that now. <laughs> Who is Mr. Grimsdale and what is he oh, covering his eyes about? Doing,
0: uh, Norman Wisdom. He's a. It was a vintage British uh, comedian. <laughs> Mr. Grimsdale. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't talk quite like that. So, uh, first single this was. So, we'd already heard it by the time the album came out. Got to number 34. Ouch. So much for writing a poppy singles album. B-side How Can It Hurt, which is a... We'll probably talk about it a little bit more, but it's a part of crap. <laughs> it's a horrible song. Let me Just see what now. I wrote about How Can It Hurt. Oh, you're writing something about oh, it. Oh,
1: no. Literally, all I wrote for How Can It Hurt is no thanks with two exclamation yeah. marks.
0: Uh, do you know what I wrote next to it? What? Nothing. I don't need to write anything. I know how I feel about how <laughs> oh, can wow. it hurt? Yep.
1: Yeah. I can't believe they put that as the B side. Yeah. Uh, sorry, out of all of the songs that weren't on the album that didn't make it onto the album but were kind of from that era, how can it hurt? It has to be the worst.
0: <laughs> it's I know, it's really bad.
1: It's like why choose that as the B side? Yeah.
0: It's just a horrible rock song.
1: It's awful. There's no words for it.
0: Anyway, cover my eyes. We're <laughs> not talking about. Yes. B-Size yet. Some of the lyrics in this come from a, a How We Live demo called Simon's Car.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: where He, sing, he sings, okay. I love you more than Simon's yes, Car.
1: Because I heard a fragment of the Corona Diaries podcast where H was talking about that. Yeah. And that is so strange. As I listened to Cover My Eyes, I was thinking about him talking about that. And I was trying to... And I'm like, but he doesn't mention this car. This can't be the same song he was talking about. Now it all makes sense.
0: I'll play it to you at some point. Yeah. It doesn't sound like Cover My Eyes. so. No. But,
1: for, but the lyrics did make me think of him talking about Simon's car.
0: The Simon was Simon Templar, a.k.a. The Saint... It's lost on you, I know. It's completely lost on me. Uh, We've talked about this quite a lot. It's got the jangly U2 thing going on.
1: I haven't said anything about it yet, though. I haven't said whether I like it. Can you guess whether I like it or not? I do. It's one of my favourites on the album. I love the faster pace. I love H's voice. I do love the lyrics, Pain in Heaven. Like, I just thought that's such a cool
0: pain and heaven together
1: juxtaposition isn't
0: that just like love
1: yes and it's a good sing-along song
0: yes it's fun life yeah it's a fun song it's It's a fun song i don't think it's very complex
1: no i wouldn't say it was complex
0: but h does have an explanation if you'd like to hear it i'd
1: love to but i did not have anything i had no idea what it was about (laughs) really well, yeah, okay, admiring okay. a girl, but I didn't know who That's it was. That's literally it. Lyrically,
0: oh. it's a fantasy about beautiful women.
1: Wow. <laughs> 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 so complex.
0: I oh, know. Too beautiful to look at.
1: Oh, that's why it's painful. Oh yeah. painful to look at. Ah, my too eyes, beautiful. My You're eyes. burning my eyes and my brain.
0: So this is one of the songs that, that wouldn't have made it onto the album if it wasn't for Chris Neal.
1: No way!
0: Because they And it
1: became a single.
0: He it was two separate bits of music and he they were about to bin, I think, the um the opening of it, the, the jangle guitar bit.
1: Really? And
0: Chris Neal said, Hang on a minute. No 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 no. If we put it to this bit, which was like the chorus, it all you've got a single. Yeah, th-
1: yeah, they got a, they they were going to bin the single.
0: Well, bin the bit of the single that that hadn't got the rest of a song yet. So it was obviously Rothers playing around in the studio with the his um new U two guitar sound and then <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder how U two do that. Oh, look I've done it guys guys I've done it <laughs> quick chuck
1: it onto a single now
0: yeah so yeah
1: but I love it I'm glad it made it onto the album I'm glad it was a single
0: yeah there's not there's not a lot to say about it, it, it because it's a it's a pure pop song yeah and it's a pure pop song even lyrically yeah more than anything they've ever written before I bet it's good live yeah you've seen it live more than once I probably have, yes. Yeah, yeah it's good live. It's, it's one of those from that sort of era where uh, a few years ago it wouldn't have been my first choice for them to play live, but now it's like sort of seeing someone you haven't seen for a long time when they play it. You know, you're going to have a laugh. Yeah. So I'm all I'm I'm all for it. I think it's um yeah, it's a good Merillion pop song. Yeah, I agree. One of their foremost. Next track is The Party, which was one of those songs that I heard live. And at the time I thought, oh, that sounds that sounds like it's got a lot of drama and it sounds kind of moolian-y. Uh, and you're looking at me because I know you've got some stuff to say about this.
1: Well, now I'm waiting for you to finish your sentence.
0: I have finished it now. Okay.
1: So, Splintering Heart, I kind of liked... Cover My Eyes, I loved intensely. The Party. I liked the dreamy music. I liked the guitar riffs. So, is that what you call them? Guitar riffs? mm mm-hmm. not uh, I, really I really don't like the song. Yeah, I know you don't. Know. really don't like it. I would skip it in a heartbeat. My favourite part of the song was at around 3 minutes 20 when the the sound of the guitar with the drums and the bass i I thought that was quite mean yeah it
0: sort of all kicks in that
1: was the best part of the song for me but i really didn't like it i don't know Mm. why i just don't like it it has got drama though you're right
0: yeah and i think at the time yeah i think i was hungry for a a bit of marillion doing what it is that they do best that was the cat in the background if you heard it again sorry sorry to anyone that's allergic to the noise of cats so I was I was clinging on to. Uh, it sounds like I didn't want the poppier stuff because I like Meridian pop songs, but I wanted to know that they still were prepared to do what it was that I grew up listening to, which were right. songs that were that told a story and and had a bit more going on to them than you know. <laughs> and And, and the party didn't, you
1: didn't feel splintering heart gave you that,
0: yes, it did it did, so there were moments on the album peppered throughout, and the party, I think for me represented that sort of proggy kind of more complex stuff for me, however, so I liked it a lot of the time, so it was like a a an oasis of progginess in a sea of pop, however they've done so many better songs since that in that kind of area that the party for me has just got pushed further and further down the list of Marillion songs that I like and going back to it now even doing this chronologically I kind of like it it's all right there's bits that I really like in it I, I love the um the moment where he sings I um she can smell the soil in the trees yeah, and that see, was interesting. Yeah, see the succulent oh, yeah. light from the little fires in his eyes pulling shapes out of the night, she was enchanted. That bit I love because I love the way the music and his voice all sort of in sync.
1: I did like that bit and I wanted to know what that meant, pulling shapes out of the night.
0: Oh Well, I can tell you exactly what that meant. One night when they were recording the album, they uh, all dressed up as Mexicans and for the first time ever, H took Magic Mushrooms and he went outside, and he could see the moonlight dripping in the trees like the juice of some earth, unearthly tropical citrus fruit. fruit. And that's where the succulent light came from. Oh,
1: that's cool.
0: Because the uh, the song is about um, a loss of innocence at a girl's first party. I mean, yeah, the, the lyrics are I exactly... assumed
1: that's what it was
0: about. She's taken something at that point.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think he uh, has said. You know, we've all been to parties like that, but it all felt a little bit, I'm out of my comfort zone here and it's all a bit too wild yeah, for my tastes. as he says, I was trying to capture the atmosphere of the first teenage parties I went to up in Yorkshire, young and naive, and everything about them seemed mystically illicit and dangerous. The man in the off-licence used to let me buy a bottle of cider even though I was only 16. And only looked 14, which he did when he was younger. He looked looked like he was 14 up until about the age of 30.
1: Lyrically, he did capture the atmosphere well.
0: He does. But what is interesting, and I've only just realised this as as I'm saying it, he's written about himself, but he's written, she bought a bottle of cider. Mm. They didn't stop her. Now, going into Brave... He's written an entire album about a girl where there are songs on that album that are clearly about H, but they've been been made to fit within a narrative of a story about a girl.
1: Oh, kind of like what Fish did with Clutching
0: at Straws with Torch. Well, kind of. Yeah. Maybe it's just that mask again. So I I do Mm. think H hid behind his words as much as Fish hid behind his grease paint mask
1: yeah well certainly looking at the lyrics of like the space and splintering heart and we can possibly see that how that might be
0: yes yes so yeah so not a song i adore anymore i don't know if i adored it at the time but i like the fact that i didn't hate it And there's far worse on this album and on Cover My yeah, Eyes
1: B-side. Yeah, okay. There's worse on this album. It's it's not the worst. No. But I I just don't like it. I'm yeah. sorry. I feel bad saying that. And I <laughs> I'm not sure I'm comfortable with you putting this on the podcast. But I just want to say it to you. <laughs> you know the last verse where he's like, and then it was yesterday, and he said, "Oh, by the way, welcome to your first party." I. Hate line. I hate that laugh. I hate that verse so much. Why? Because it reminds me of something like a year seven student would write in a in an English story.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah. Do you know what it reminds <laughs> By the me way, of?
1: Wait, welcome to your first party. That was the song. Do
0: you know what it reminds me of? What? Right, I've t i have I've told you this story. Uh, I don't know why this guy keeps coming up in um coming up in the podcast because he's someone I've not seen since I was at school. Ian Grewcock. Who, uh, you talk
1: about him quite a lot. Weird, isn't it? I wasn't yeah. even that
0: good friends with him.
1: He's really made an impression of you. If only he knew.
0: Anyway, I was about ten, and I was walking home with Ian Grucock and his older brother, who I think was we were in middle school and he was in high school. It's back in the days when we had three tiers of schools in the UK. Um, and Ian Grewcock's brother was like you know older and more mature, and we were talking to him, me and Ian Grucock about. You know, okay, so it, so it goes like so a thousand, then a million, then a billion, then a trillion. What comes next? And I ah oh, oh, fuckillion. And and <laughs> Ian Grewcock's brother went, oh, you're growing up fast. And I can imagine Ian Grewcock's brother going, oh, by the way, welcome to your first party. Yeah. <laughs> you grow up fast.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what it reminds me of. Yeah, I yeah I know what you mean.
1: So, yeah, I just had to get that out of my system.
0: You've done it now. It's fine. We're coming up to one of the songs that um, I, I can't pull punches on. But it's not the next one. Oh, okay, Phew. No one God. can.
1: Paul, my heart stopped when you said You thought said I was going to
0: slag off No One Can? Yeah. No way.
1: I was like, I didn't see
0: that coming. Mm. Whew,
1: let me just let my adrenaline calm down a little bit.
0: How can anyone hate No One Can? I know. Well... Someone who perhaps might cite, I don't know, Emerald Lies as their favourite Marillion song. <laughs> I hate no one.
1: Yeah, yeah I guess they're, they're kind of polar opposites. Yeah.
0: So this got to number 33 as the second single off the album. The B-side was A Collection, which we can talk about that later. And they re-released it to try and get a hit with it because I think they described it at the time as the one that got away because it should have been a hit. And it did this on the second um, second release. It it got to number twenty six, so a whole seven places higher. Woo! It still wasn't a hit, and I think you've got to put it in the context of where music was at the time. You know, grunge was just coming up, just been through kind of acid house and baggy. As what it was year called. was
1: this? 92? Well, 90,
0: 91 when it was first released. Ninety one, and then, then ninety two the following year when they had a second go with it. Meridian, in some respects, were, were as out of step with the times as they had been when they released Script for Jester's Tear in 1983. Mm. Yeah, they were, it was a great pop song. The only time Meridian have ever been aligned with what was going on was Kaylee. That's it. <laughs> you know, that was the only time. So for No One Can to kind of get the airplay that it needed and for people to hear it, it wasn't getting played because there was other, other music at the time going on you know nirvana was was on the rise and we were kind of on the cusp of Britpop, pop and they were just they were just desperately unfashionable and a song like no one can which is a great pop song however you look at it it just didn't fit into the cultural landscape of, of then. so anyway do you want to before i go on do you want to talk about it
1: yeah because you've just weirded me out have uh, um... i not yeah. for the first time i mean okay so we know i absolutely triple love this song it's catchy triple it's likable yeah it's a a sweet love song it's not it's not like my top ultimate favorite of the album but it's one of my favorites
0: i think i know it's your favorite.
1: yeah i think um but i wrote the the lolloping melody reminded me of being a teenager so it, it really, it, there was a nostalgic element to it for me because it sounded so familiar like other music that, that was around me at the time. So it's weird that you're saying it was out of step with the music of its time. Because for me, it feels like it fits perfectly with the music of the
0: time. Of 91.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't pinpoint exactly what i'm talking about or what other songs i'm talking about all i know is that listening to it i was like oh my god this feels like what i was listening to as a teenager Mm. yeah i just really like it i think it's got some really beautiful lyrics it's it's like one of those perfect songs to play at a wedding reception so romantic the the romantic in me loves it Especially things like the time that it took to take down the wall was the time that it took for me to fall hopelessly weak. I love that. I'm just like, my heart is melting.
0: I'm, I I guess, in my own And
1: then, and then I was like, hmm, no one can take me, no one can take you away from me now. Is H singing to the other members of the band?
0: (laughs) You're You're not firing me. They should have called it that no one can fire me from this band
1: yeah yeah so yeah i love it i think it's great
0: it's there's not much to say about about it again because it's it's such such a simple pop song it's
1: got such good lyrics though you landed in my life like a like a new and brighter light that made all my past seem shadow but i need a new word to describe you stuff like that's just gorgeous the but, days um, before you came were all really were really all the same—a grayness I used to call freedom. It's a beautiful love song.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I, 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 don't think the lyrics are quite as good as you think. They're fine for a love song. I love them. I mean, I think they're um,
1: they're simple, oh, but they're effective. They're
0: cheesy as hell. Sorry. I love it. I, I, I love it. Uh, Bring the cheese. I like the sentiment, but they are. There's no get away from it. It's a cheesy song. It's a lovely song. Oh, it's I love full on it.
1: cheesy. It's, it's a wedding reception song for that reason. It's
0: saccharine sweet.
1: Yeah, I love
0: it. Anyway, H says, I had written these words standing in a field near to the rehearsal studio one day. I've been away from home for most of the 18 months since I joined the band and I was beginning to feel alienated from my wife and daughter. It was a beautiful day and I had a head full of the natural things all around me and the sense of separation from the people I love most. So there you go. Uh, it's an attempt to say it's okay you're here with me and to argue against the myth that being single is to be free Oh. perfect for a wedding perfect for a wedding it's yeah and it i love the 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 guitar line in it and the keys as well that come in that you know ah oh, yeah it it's just it's just a lovely song but it's such a simple song it, it it's difficult to kind of talk about this in the depth that we might have an emerald lies for example
1: yeah I'm not going to be like
0: um so it feels like we're going to kind of skip this a little bit I carry
1: you here and there's something of you in every in everything that I I love I like that line I love that line hmm what could that be symbolic of you know we're not going to do that
0: no no it's it's straightforward but sometimes a love song just just needs to be there yes
1: I appreciate it for it's straightforwardness for it's cheesiness
0: um but but it get, brings us back to i mean jesus it ain't torch song is it it's not it's definitely not torch song yeah it's not one way it's wet not circles. she
1: chameleon that's for sure
0: yeah and
1: <laughs> it's like yeah polar opposite to emerald lies i can imagine polar opposite to she chameleon
0: so we've had all right we've had splinter in and heart and we've had the party but we have had Cover My Eyes and No One Can. And I can imagine that there were Merillion fans at the time having aneurysms listening to this album.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, more of these, please. More, more, just like this.
0: Yeah. You, can, you, can you imagine? Because remember that I sort of said to you that the they were loved by all the kind of long haired boys at school, the ones who had Iron Maiden patches on their jackets
1: oh yeah you can't really imagine him yeah that's maiden who Marillion found.
0: yeah Marillion were lumped in singing with iron along. maiden oh, God. and and Def leopard and
1: <laughs> singing no one can take you away from me now yeah
0: i mean jesus sorry it's it, in fact as i'm reminding myself of that now i actually feel i feel a little bit sick i feel a knot in my sick. stomach what was, what's not for you me but sick? just like what must Oh, if other feel, people have thought about? You feel sick on
1: their behalf. Yeah. On the Iron Maiden fans' just behalf.
0: On, what were they thinking? Anyway. Don't
1: worry, because the next song is Holidays in Eden. What would the Iron Maiden fans think of that?
0: It's pausing to scratch my beard.
1: Dramatic beard-scratching pause. Before we
0: get into it, I will say this is the first John Helmer lyric on the album. What I will tell you is is what it's about. Well, do you want to guess what it's about? Before we get into whether we like the song or not, do you care what it's about? No. Right, I'll just tell you.
1: I did have... I did have... Oh, is it about fame?
0: No. Uh, no. It's H said it's, um, it's about a girl he... John Hellman knew, who was very straight-laced, a timid sort of character. She saved up her money and went on holiday to South America. When she got there, she completely immersed herself in the culture and fell in love with the crowd and went apeshit crazy, basically, and did everything she dreamt of doing and not done at home. She changed her name, changed everything about herself for a few months and eventually the money ran out and she had to go home. And when she got home, she found she couldn't get on with any of her friends. They didn't like her the way she was now. They liked her when she was quiet and timid and found she didn't fit in anyway. So it's a song about going native. Basically,
1: Oh, I misjudged that. See, I was wondering if it was a bit more personal, like if it was about H becoming famous and, you know, joining a band, changing his name to H and then no one calls him that Mm. when he's at home and sort of the difference between life on the road and touring and life at home.
0: That's interesting because, sorry, the the quote goes on to say, that's what H saw in it. Ah. He says... That isn't what Helmer wrote it about. Right. But he says, I could relate straight away to this sense of losing yourself and an alternative lifestyle for a period of time and the problems you might have readjusting. Half our lives, we pretend to be someone else and play being rock stars and there comes a point where you find yourself in a supermarket shopping trying to come to terms with that and dealing with reality again. I could really relate to it. Mm, He added a few lines here and there.
1: Because he's even, I mean, this must be quite a big thing for him because again, he's kind of, Written about this in the levers or similar themes, yeah. hasn't he?
0: yeah, that sense of of being a rock star, meaning you lose yourself in in that lifestyle and you lose touch with what grounds you
1: and then the the jarring contrast when you're back home with your family,
0: yeah so while we're talking about h just to uh save him from any condemnation. He had nothing to do with this song musically. The band, the rest of the band wrote it.
1: So he just came in to sing it? Yes. He didn't write the lyrics. He didn't write the music.
0: He wrote the odd line here and there, but he didn't write the music.
1: That's very 10 million points for him, isn't it?
0: So, brothers, Ian, Pete, Mark, it's your fault that this song exists And I hate it. I hate Holidays in Eden. I really, really hate it. And I would say I hate it more than any other Marillion song up to this point.
1: Up to this point. Wow. More than Emerald Lies. You didn't hate Emerald Lies, did you?
0: No, it's got some redeeming features. There's, There's one little bit in it where the music drops down and there's its sort of twinkly keyboard bit. I don't even like... I say I'm excusing H from any blame in this. I don't even like the way he sings it. It, it, it sounds to me like a, a bad parody of The Police mixed with early 80s Yes. You go and listen to Yes's 90125 album, which came out in 1983. Holidays in Eden could have come straight off it. So what I was saying about it being out of time. Well, I think I won't be
1: listening to yeses. Well, whatever yeah. all those. Owner were of like... a lonely
0: heart. It's a good song. Right? Oh,
1: that's true. Yeah. yeah.
0: Holidays in Eden, the song is like a bad version of Owner of a Lonely Heart. Mm. It it it's 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 just wretched. It's wretched. It's it's it's. it's oh my god i don't have the words in my vocabulary to tell you how much i despise this song and i bet you some of the people who have an issue with this album they haven't got an issue with the album they've just got an issue with that bloody song that's slap bang in the middle of it and the title track of the album to make matters worse i did
1: wonder that it's like why have you named the entire album after your worst
0: song the worst song you've written up to that point in your entire musical career and it would go on to remain as one of the worst songs you've ever written there are a few others but holidays in eden is up there it's 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 not quite on the pinnacle of awfulness that meridian had been responsible for but man alive it's not far off the summit the summit of mount shit of most
1: what do the band think of it
0: I think H said he um, just like washing his hands.
1: I had nothing to do with it.
0: I think I read a quote with him saying that they could have uh, been a little bit more daring with it,
1: like by scrapping it and throwing it. Yeah, in the bin. I
0: think he wanted something that was a little bit more out there in terms of it being kind of like a native sort of beat or something. Oh, I that do want yeah.
1: Well, I would be curious to hear that.
0: I wouldn't be curious because I think what you'll probably end up with, as Meridian do when they, they get experimental, is you'll end up with something like Drilling Holes. A song that I know a lot of people like, a song that the band clearly like because they play it a lot, A song, another song that I despise. And it's probably off one of their best albums. Drilling Holes, you go in a bloody hole and live in there until you rot with The Holidays in Eden. And, and I'll chuck Deserving while I'm at it. There you go. There's there's three of them. Wow. Oh, no. Wait a minute. I forgot A Legacy. That can go in the hole as well. Or you can go in that hole and rot.
1: So I'm taking it you don't like this song then? No, not really. Oh, I like the nature sounds at the beginning of it. Yeah, it's best
0: bit. It's the the best plain, plain best bit. bit's good. Going best from, from one, one headphone to the other.
1: Yeah. It did. It, when it came on, I was really baffled. I was like, "What is this?" After no one can, it was like very jarring.
0: And this is what I mean when I say that I bet some people would have a, a stronger view of the album as a whole if this song wasn't on there.
1: Absolutely, it's, it's like if it, you... it. Absolutely, it does. It does bring down the enjoyment of the album quite a few notches
0: if you had like a really good meal right but someone had taken a crap in the middle of it you wouldn't remember all the nice bits of the meal you'll just remember the fact that there was a big steamer <laughs> on your plate and i think that might be what's happened to holidays in eden
1: especially if the meal was called steamer
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna but well, why would you order it
1: because <laughs> you, you didn't know what steamer meant oh, oh, you oh, thought steamer nice. was like a steamed bow bun or something
0: bao bun
1: bao bun
0: i'll have um yeah can we have two fragrant steamers please uh how would you like that does oh medium rare please
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you realize what the steamer is
0: <sighs> let's just move on i'm yeah, emotionally let's... exhausted
1: <laughs> i bet you are
0: that bombshell that's where we're leaving it for this week this is me in the future we'll pick up next week with the second part of the album uh, and also looking at some of marillion's 10th anniversary celebrations so that should be fun before we get there though if any of you would like to share your first impressions or your lasting impressions of holidays in eden with us We would love to hear from you for a postbag special. You can email us, bmpod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter, bmpod. Drop us a line there if you fancy it. And we'll pick as many of you as we can to um, shout out in the episode and read out your thoughts. Anyway, I have waffled enough. Thanks for listening as always. Stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye.